This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know, I know we all get, um, and I'm certainly guilty of this, and Elliot too, caught up in all the discussion about who's the next general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins, what's happening in Toronto with both the exit and the subsequent enter of a new general manager. Um, all the drama in Calgary, which is going to start to come to a conclusion tomorrow with the announcement of Craig Conroy. Um, but let's not forget that there's actual hockey going on still, ladies and gentlemen. The hockey is really good, too. Uh, we've had four games, the conference finals, and there have been four overtimes. Matthew Kachuk featuring prominently in the two for the Florida Panthers as they find themselves up two games heading into game three tonight in Sunrise. George Richards joins me now from Florida Hockey Now. George, how are you today? I'm good. What's going on? Uh, well, you tell me. I mean, the Florida Panthers are uh, are hot, hot, hot. Uh, I've had yep. a lot of fun on this program and on the podcast comparing them to the, the 2012 Los Angeles Kings and Bobrovsky's sure. playing the role of Drew Doughty or Bobrovsky playing the role of Jonathan Quick and Montour is playing Drew Doughty and Sam Bennett is Mike Richards and et cetera. Barkoff is Kopitar, like et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what's the local market done with this? What's this done for Panthers fans? Oh, it's, yeah, it's been great. I mean, this is a big market town. I mean, I think that that's what the Panthers organization, you know, even during the uh, the dark years, um, we're always counting on that if this team, you know, performed at a consistent level on the ice, that the, that the fans would be there. And, and that's what we're seeing now. Um, yeah, I mean, you've got the Heat winning and you've got the Panthers winning and uh, it's a good time to be in South Florida, no doubt about that. And it's a good time to be Matthew Kachuk as well. And I want to get to the uh, point to the gate celebration here in a couple of moments. But um, uh, we've seen trades pay off before. But I mean, this is uh, this is this is a huge one. Like this is absolutely massive. I know that uh, the Bill Zito, you know, looked at Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Weger and said, you know what, our salary structure and where the salary cap is at is going to mean we're going to get killed and we're probably going to have to walk away from one of these players. Let's try to make the best possible trade possible. Matthew Kachuk became available, whether it was the Blues, whether it was the Panthers or the um, Hurricanes, etc. There are a lot of teams that wanted him. Uh, Zito offered up a couple of stars and got him and got himself out of a salary cap situation and then ended up picking up someone who may be at the end of the day, you know, might end up being the playoff MVP, depending on where the Florida Panthers end up here. Long-winded, uh, I know, but your thoughts on what you're seeing from Matthew Kachuk so far. I know that the Mellonby Rats were huge back in 96. I get all that. I was right there for all of it. But how big is uh, the Matthew Kachuk phenomenon with Panthers fans right now? Yeah, hard to quantify because, you know, he's such an – he's got that it factor, right? I mean – he doesn't have yeah. a shot on goal, I don't think, in game one, and then he gets the game winner in, in four overtimes. I think the same thing is true for game two, and he gets the overtime winner. Um, but he's doing other things. I'm not saying that. But he shows up in the moment, the big moment. He's the guy that you're hitching your wagon to. Um, he's the star of the show. Um, and that's allowing Sasha Barkov to quietly go about his things, except, you know, game two yeah. wasn't, his goal wasn't very quiet. Everybody's still talking about that. But <laughs> Matthew Kachuk, I mean, the trade has just been, has worked out great for the Panthers. And I think there was a lot of, 
a lot of consternation down here when it happened because everybody loved Jonathan Huberto and and Mackenzie Weger and did not know Matthew Kachuk all that much. He played in Calgary. Nobody in South Florida watches Calgary, so they didn't know the guy. Um, but us in the hockey, we, we were like, wow, the Panthers, holy smokes, just got themselves a great another superstar and got out of cap uh, cap problems because Jonathan Huberto yeah. might have painted them in a in a major league corner. If 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 Jonathan Huberto's telling the Panthers, I want eight years and nothing less, and I want X, Y, and Z financially, the Panthers couldn't have done that. They wouldn't have done that. And so, what are you going to do? Trade Jonathan Huberto at the trade deadline to get some? You know, it a whole mess was averted mm-hmm. by by Matthew Kachuk coming on on the on the scene when he did. Uh, your thoughts on the goal celebrations? Uh, point to the gate. Let's get yeah. out of here. Let's go. Yeah, you know, you've got that that weird the weird setup in Carolina is there's no there's no access to the locker room from the visiting bench, so everybody has to walk across the yeah. ice. And they've got that giant wind tunnel there in the corner. You know, he just rammed that door. Let's go. We're getting out of here. We're, you know, we're tired of being in this building. And like Paul Maurice <laughs> said, uh, they felt like they'd been in that building for a week straight. So they were uh, ready to get on the airplane and head home. Uh, what do you make of the, uh, of the uh, I mean, I guess it's like under undercovers here, but I mean, that, that sort of simmering, whatever, however you want to describe it, you know, issue between Rod Brindamore and Paul Maurice. Like, we make a lot of it uh, up here with, you know, Canadian media, certainly. Um, it, it seems as if it's much more of a Rod Brindamore to Paul Maurice thing than Paul Maurice to Rod Brindamore. But is there, are there any sort of simmering embers that you can tell between Paul Maurice and the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes? Uh, I haven't noticed any. I mean, I, am I missing something? I haven't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I thought they had a pretty good relationship, and uh, Paul it's, has said nothing. But I, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 I mean, I mean, the relationship now seems like it's okay. It's it, it just, I mean, it, at the end of Rod Brindamore's career, I mean, Paul Maurice had to make really tough, you know, lineup decisions. He took, you know, he took the C off Rod Brindamore's jersey, sure, uh, sure. scratched okay. him, like limited, limited minutes. And, and Brindamore wasn't exactly, you know, he's, you know, Brindamore went on, it was this interview with Christine Simpson a couple of days ago, uh, where he said, what it did is, is it taught me how not to treat a veteran on his way out. Because Brindamore had a similar situation with Justin Williams, and he wasn't going to treat Williams the way that Paul Maurice treated him on the way out. Listen, coaches have to make difficult decisions. We of all course. understand that. But I just, I was just curious if, if, I mean, you're right there with Paul all the time. If you've been able to glean anything, or that's more of a, that's just more of a Rod Brindamore issue. Well, let's not forget, after Rod was done playing, he was an assistant on Paul Maurice's staff. So I think you know whatever. Mm-hmm. Whatever had happened probably got got smoothed over by then. Um, you know, I don't know how their relationship is now. It seems okay, but I, you know, we don't know, right? We're not we're not there when they're yeah. privately talking. But I would think just having you know, Paul hiring Rod to be an assistant coach back in the day, back in his last his second stint with the Hurricanes, uh, probably shows yeah. that it was probably smoothed over a long time ago. Okay, I, w- I want to bring up a name here, um, and I do want to get to Sergei Bobrovsky, but this is sort of, you know, in in the same orbit as as Sergei Bobrovsky. Now, Bobrovsky has been, I, I don't even know, how, we're running out of words to describe it. He's just been yeah. that good for the Florida Panthers. But yeah. 
you know, you can make the argument that Alex Lyon saved the Panthers' season. That if it's not for Alex Lyon, we're probably not in a position here to be talking about how great Bobrovsky's done in the playoffs and how about Matthew Kachuk and those two big overtime winning goals. Through all of this, and I, there were a lot of people, and myself included, that were wondering if Alex Lyon was going to get into Game 2 uh, just because of the exhaustion and how many overtimes sure. they, they, they played in Game 1. Do you have a, a thought or two uh, on where Alex Lyon fits into this team right now? I just can't help but saying to myself, listen, Bobrovsky's hot, and you got a hot goalie like this. He can carry it to the Stanley Cup. We've seen yeah. it before. But I can't help but thinking, man, there's Alex Lyon maybe saying to himself, I saved your season. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm the reason you guys got into the playoffs here. Is there is there something, is there some little place in George Richards' hockey heart for Alex Lyon? Well, there's no argument that, you know, Alex Lyon absolutely saved the Florida Panthers season. There is, they, they are not here. Between Alex Lyon winning six yeah. straight games and getting points in seven straight at the end of the year, and Pittsburgh losing to teams like Detroit, Columbus, and Chicago, the Panthers are not here. The Panthers are not in this position. We're, we, we are still doing, you know, end-of-the-year stuff on, you know, what mistakes the Panthers made and how can they fix it instead of what we're talking about here. Um, Alex Lyon, absolutely. Um, he, I think he's gotten himself a job next year, right? I mean – this guy's never had a one-way yeah. contract. I think he might get himself a one-way contract this year, um, which means he won't be coming back to the Panthers because the Panthers can't offer him that. But Alex Lyon, yeah. I mean, unbelievable job. I mean, he took over that game. The Panthers had lost four straight games when they lost that game on Monday night in Ottawa, going to Toronto to take on a team that they never beat and a place that they never win. And the Panthers look like they're completely disinterested in the game. And he's making one save after another. I think he ended up with like 40-something saves. He willed the Panthers to a win in in Toronto. Sam Reinhart got the game-tying goal with a minute left. And I think that that Kachuk got the the, the winning goal in overtime, or it was Montour. It was Montour. Mm -hmm. That saved the season. And it was all Alex Lyon doing it because the Panthers should have been down 5-1 in that game. Instead, it was one, you know, 2-2 going to overtime. Saved their season. And Alex Lyon deserves all the credit for it. And he's still the same guy. You see him in the locker room joking and, and, and having fun with everybody. He's enjoying this as much as anybody. And I, I think that, you know, he, he knows where his place is in this. You know, I'm uh, I'm glad you mentioned that that Penguins Blackhawks because uh, I think like who knows where the Panthers are going to end up here. But if the Florida Panthers, let me get ahead, let me get ahead of myself here, George. If the Florida Panthers yeah. win the Stanley Cup and they could win the Stanley Cup, if they win the Stanley Cup, we're going to look back on this season and say the most important date on the calendar turned out to be April 11th. It's a Tuesday night. It was the Pittsburgh, yep. Peng- Pittsburgh Penguins against the Chicago Blackhawks. And the Blackhawks won 5-2. to two. I think it was Andreas Athanasiu with the game-winning goal. That was the game that opened the door for the Florida Panthers to qualify for the postseason and also gave the Chicago Blackhawks the, uh, the right number yep. of lottery balls to win Connor <laughs> Bedard. Like we'll 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 look at that and say <laughs> it got a Stanley Everybody Cup champion and a first overall like, pick and maybe a franchise player. 
Everybody in Chicago was like, oh, no, they went from one to three by beating by beating Pittsburgh that night. And it turns out that three was the winner. So, yeah, what a, what yeah. a turnaround for both the yeah, – and the Panthers <laughs> clinch because they had that, that point yeah. against Toronto the night before. Um, you know, so the Panthers would have had a must-win game against Carolina that Thursday. But then it was just like, okay, we're good. We're in. No worries. Yeah. Um, We're good. It was just unbelievable. But Chicago had no business winning that game against Pittsburgh. I mean, we saw them the night before nope. playing uh, Minnesota, and they looked like an AHL team. I think they lost like ten out of eleven going into Pittsburgh, and then they and then they they ball out and beat them. I mean, unreal. And yeah. like you said, one goal here, one goal there. The Florida Panthers are, you know, everybody's golfing at uh, Goldie's Golf Tournament today. I mean, it's you know. Uh, it's, it's it's weird how when, little things happen. When, hey, when when did when when so, so Steve Goldstein, the uh, the play by play voice of the Florida, when did he book this golf tournament? Like the Panthers are hot, man. When did he book this thing? Yeah, like six months ago. I mean, yeah. I mean, nobody. The Panthers have never played. The Panthers haven't played this late into May since 1996. I mean, God bless. And we're getting to the point where nobody wants to golf down here. So I mean, in a couple more weeks, it's. Uh, you know, it's uh, we're on the we're on the surface of the sun with the humidity of Louisiana. So, well, let me let me uh, let me finish with this one, George, and uh, I thank you for your time. I've always appreciate it. Before uh, before game three here tonight, um, we'll talk a lot about Kachuk, and we'll talk a lot about Bobrovsky. Uh, we'll talk a lot about Barkov. Is there someone on this team that you think is someone who covers them day in and day out that we should be talking yeah. about more? Well, I think now, I mean, everybody's getting their due. I mean, you're looking at a – how about Nick Cousins? All right, he gets the overtime winner um, the other night. You're right, Nick Cousins. He's a fourth-line guy. Florida signs him basically to replace um, Nola Chari. Um, and, and, you know, you said Nola Chari, I think, knew that because he laid him out a couple times in the Boston, in the uh, Toronto series. <laughs> Nola Chari's like, yeah, that was personal there with <laughs> Nola Chari. I mean, he laid him out. Yeah. Um, he gets moved up to the second line. Right, he's been playing on the fourth line with Stahl and those all year long, and they move him up to the second line with Kachuk and Bennett, and it's been a terrific line. Um, they've just been, you know, back and he. I mean, he adds something to that. They add something to him, and uh, yeah, I think more people are talking about Nick Cousins. But I mean, it's just that that's one of those stories where you're like, that's a move that worked, right? I mean, the Florida's fourth line was doing fine. Yeah. And then you move them, you move them up to the to the left side of the second line, and and boom, you've got something, and it's it's really worked for Florida. Series clinchers, series clinchers. Uh, listen, always good. We'll let you get back to the day. Um, let you get back to the golf tournament if you're going. Uh, you yeah, enjoy yourself, I, yeah, George. We'll uh, we'll catch up. We'll catch up. You got you got game day duties. I know how it works. You got game day duties, George. Thanks as always for stopping by. Always good to talk to you. We'll see you. George Richards from Florida Hockey Now. Uh, Florida up 2 nothing over the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. Game 3 is tonight. And settle in, folks. These two teams are more similar than they are different. Uh, and don't let the 2 nothing series score fool you. Uh, it's not as if the Florida Panthers have dominated. These two teams make really good games, too. Uh, how'd you like that? Two, two goals called back in the first period uh, in, the, in, in the first uh, in the second game, rather. Uh, we'll hit a break. Uh, coming up at the top of hour two, Mike Kelly from the NHL Network and Sport Logic. Uh, we'll stop by. You know, Mark Stone said something really interesting yesterday to Scott Oak, where he made a reference to our best player. You know who he was talking about? Jack Eichel. 
I want to start or at least get to with Mike Kelly, his thoughts on what we're seeing with Jack Eichel of the Vegas Golden Knights. As much as the conversation around Buffalo is revolved around, oh, they're so much better without Eichel. Don't look now, but Eichel's one of the best players in the playoffs. Everybody is starting to notice here. Mike Kelly coming up. Josh Yoey from The Athletic will talk about the Penguins' GM hunt. Hour 2 is coming up next across the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, and Sportsnet Now. Keep it here. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome to Hour 2 of the program. Glad to have you along today on this holiday Monday. Jeff Merrick along with you. Coming up, bottom of the hour, Josh Yoey from The Athletic covers the Pittsburgh Penguins and uh, is busy covering their general manager search, which which many of us thought was going to be you know, reaching its conclusion either late last week or maybe into the early part of this week. Um, and we've all familiarized ourselves now with some of the names that we're talking about here. Matthew Darsh and Eric Tulski, Dan McKinnon, uh, Jason Carmanos, um, Steve Greeley. But all of that right now is on pause um, as the Pittsburgh Penguins have a conversation with now ex-general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Kyle Dubas. So we'll get on the uh, the Penguins page here coming up at the bottom of the hour. Uh, in the meantime, someone who uh, I just love talking to because I uh, guarantee you're going to learn something. Uh, and I love a guy like Mike Kelly because he teaches you how to learn something in a way that you never thought possible or love something in a way, perhaps, that you never thought possible. How's that for an introduction, Mike Kelly, from <laughs> NHL Network and Sport Logic? No pressure. Uh- Hey, look, uh, yeah, pressure's on, uh, very complimentary, and I appreciate that. And um, I would say inaccurate <laughs> if we're talking about my four-year-old son, who uh, does not like to listen to me most of the time. But other than that, I very much appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to tell you that it changes as they get older, but as someone who has a 13-year-old <laughs> son and an 11-year-old son as well, uh, I've seen where this movie takes us before, Mike, and it's, yeah. it doesn't look good for you and me, bud. It doesn't look good for you and me. Let's just put it that way. Hey, we do our best, right? We try. We try. And I'll tell you what, speaking of doing best, and I'm glad you, you, you mentioned that because, you know, yesterday at the end of the Vegas-Dallas game, uh, Mark Stone said something really interesting in passing in his interview with Scott Oak. He referenced our best player did blank. And mm. he was referring to Jack Eichel as being their best player. Now, I personally think that, you know, Mark Stone might be the best player right now on Vegas. And you can tell that he's really gutting things out. Uh, you know, Elliot was pointing out how he's, you know, he's the last guy on the bench coming out of the dressing room after periods. Like you can tell, like every intermission he's getting worked on, he's getting treatment, he's getting something done to him so he can just get through another period, just get like that's the kind of player you're dealing with, with, uh, with Mark Stone. But when he said our best player in reference to Jack Eichel, what does, you know, what does someone like, like Mike, what do you do with that information when Mark Stone says he's our best player? Where do you see Jack Eichel right now with Vegas? Yeah, it's a heck of a compliment coming from Mark Stone because I think of what you just said, like he's one of the most complete uh, elite forwards in the league, Stone is, um, for what he can yeah. do offensively and defensively, right? So when he's saying that about Jack Eichel, it's a huge compliment. And um, 
I'm not, I, you know, I don't see the point really in debating between the two. Like they're both great. And if Stone says Eichel, so be it. But um, what, what yeah. Eichel's been able to do, uh, you know, especially since Barbashev joined that line with Marsha. So they've been really good. And Eichel's always been a great puck mover, possession driver. Um, you know, not so much the blinding McDavid type speed, but like I love watching him when he's skating the puck up ice. He kind of gets the, the, the legs wide and he's almost gliding and just protecting the puck. So good at protecting the puck. Um, and a great playmaker. His shots gotten better. He scores more than earlier in his career. So he's rounded out offensively. And then, you know, defensively, he's impacting the game more in these playoffs than really we've seen in the regular season and certainly going back to Buffalo days where, you know, blocking passes, blocking shots, just, just having that kind of defensive impact away from the puck. Um, there's been a noticeable uptick, and that's where I wonder how much of that comes from playing with a guy like Mark Stone. Hmm. It would make uh, a whole lot of sense. I mean, I, I think it's it's next to impossible uh, not to play with Mark Stone and have that at least rub off on you a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know what? As you, as you mentioned, <laughs> I'm gonna say some goofy here. Okay, so as you mentioned, Jack Eichel and his skating, like yeah, you're right. Like he's not, he doesn't skate like Connor McDavid. I mean, nobody skates like Connor McDavid. But um, I remember I was on a panel once with Colby Armstrong, and we were doing a Buffalo Sabers game, and we we're doing a pack on Jack Eichel, and Colby said, "I never forget. I never forget this, Mike." He said, "Look how Eichel skates." He moves his legs. He looks like a velociraptor. And now, Mike, when I watch Jack Eichel, I can't not see velociraptor. Like he has a velociraptor skating style. He's got that back straight up and the legs just shooting out off to a like, really powerful stride. Make no mistake about it. Um, but I can't help but see velociraptor when I watch Jack Eichel skate now, uh, just as a, as, a, as a goofy aside. What, what do you make of the Vegas Golden Knights like uh, as, a, as a team? Like This is very much Bruce Cassidy's team and married to structure and you know watching the game yesterday. And you know the Dallas Stars are doing a, a terrific job suppressing shots. You know Vegas only gets five in the first, five in the second. After 40 minutes of play, they've only had 10 shots on net. It's remarkable what the Dallas Stars are doing. But they never panic, and they stick with how they play. Your thoughts on Vegas after two games? It's a really close series. I think I thought this going into the conference final, and I still do. I think they're the favorite to win the Stanley Cup. And we see now every game's gone to overtime, right? Even though the series are two nothing, so it's still close. But yeah. you're right. You talk about Vegas sticking to their game plan. Like that's the one commonality I see in all four of these teams is they're out there playing chess every night and not deviating from what makes them successful. They're not panicking and trying to make things happen that aren't there. And there are other teams that have more talent that are guilty of that. And they're not in the playoffs right now. So if we talk about copycat leagues. I think there's a lot of lessons to be taken from the four teams that are here right now. And, you know, you look at mm-hmm. Vegas, they, they win with the defensive structure they have, which is great. Um, they've got a great blue line with depth uh, and, and depth of forward too. And, you know, one point that some players who I work with on panels at the network and, and stuff like that have mentioned to me is that with this Vegas team, but even with really the four teams, there's no, like everybody feels like they have an important job to do. It's not three lines and 4D. Um, everybody feels like they're a part of it and, and plays and, 
you know, I can't quantify the effect that would have on a team, um, but they seem to think it's important and it, it makes sense intuitively. And I think you see that with Vegas where in any given game, it could be any one of those players that steps up and, and makes a big play and makes something happen. So um, I, I love the structure they play with. Uh, they've got the weapons offensively. They're getting the goaltending from Aiden Hill. Um, and yeah, they don't, they don't cheat the game at all. So um, I like them a lot. Yeah. You know, there's, um, you know, one of the things that we've seen in, in these playoffs is, um, you know, specifically, th- these aren't teams that made the big move at trade deadline. Um, but I want to focus on one, one move that many looked at and said, okay, that's a small little tweak. Good for Vegas. This is going to be a player that helps them come playoff time. And it's turned out to be a huge move. And we've seen this before that sometimes it's your minor deals uh, that you make at deadline that end up having major effects. Uh, and you referenced Shaq Eichel's line with Jonathan Marcheseau and the player that I want to mention here too. Ivan Barbashev has been excellent for the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, just like at, at every single level, uh, Ivan Barbashev has been impressive. Every game he does something, uh, at least something to let you know that uh, that he's there, whether it's scoring, whether it's hitting, whether it's whatever. Uh, do you have a thought on, on Ivan Barbashev here with the Vegas Golden Knights? Because for my money, I mean, there were big names. Patrick Kane moved at deadline. Ryan O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. Ivan Barbashev has been one of the more impactful deals that any manager made. Yep. And it's funny how, isn't it, how it can end up being those type of guys sometimes. Like, I think about Arturi Lekkanen with Colorado last year. Um, yes. The, the impact that he had, yes. right? Th- those those guys can be so crucial. Um, Barbashev, he's a good net front presence guy. Um, and, you know, wins, you know, battles on the wall, those kind of things. Like the kind of things that are probably not glamorous, uh, but are certainly important. And, you know, we're watching, again, the way that, the, uh, some similarities in the way that these four teams play. Um, there, there are no passengers, and you know whether it's Cousins or uh, in Florida or Barbashev, and, and there's there's yeah. different guys. Howden even playing in the top six in Vegas, they don't look out of place, um, and it, it helps the depth of the team tremendously. So to be able to acquire somebody like that, put them you know with Marshall and, and Eichel. Um, that switch they made in the Winnipeg series, and and it's been it's looked really good ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, that that kind of stuff's huge, and it is interesting. I think historically, but certainly this season, it's not always and even often the big name players that are there at the end and that have ended up making the biggest impact. Um, it's guys like I, like I thought Lars Eller might have been one of those guys this year, and it, it didn't work out uh, yeah. for the Abs, but Barbashev kind of fits that mold. He really does. Uh, loved him in St. Louis. Loved him as a, uh, a member of the Vegas Golden Knights here. Uh, one more quick thought, then I want, want to shift to Dallas. Um, Aiden Hill. Uh, you know, it was at, at, at how many different times, and this started at the beginning of the season, have we all said, oh boy, I really worry about the Vegas Golden Knights goaltending. Like at various points of the entire season, we're saying, oh, I don't know that I like the goaltending. I don't know that I like the goaltending. This is, and he's not going to get like a real victory lap here, but I really think that he deserves one. This has been a great season for Sean Burke, mm-hmm. the biggest Golden Knights goaltending, goaltending coach here. And here's another example of some of the great work by Sean Burke. Aiden Hill has been flat out great. And right now, Mike, as you well know, he's out dueling Jake Ottinger, as we all predicted, right, Mike Kelly? <laughs> 
Oh, of course. Um, and, you know, go back to the last series as well. Like, I always say about Vegas, just in a macro sense, they're helped by the fact that whatever goalie they throw in there, and we know that could be four or five guys, of how the team defends. Um, but that would be a disservice to Aiden Hill to suggest that that's why Vegas is humming along here. He's been great since he's come in. Uh, I didn't necessarily see it happening. Uh, I don't know that anybody did uh, to him playing at the level that he's been playing at. But um, I think all you're hoping for out of out of someone like Aiden Hill at this point is like, give us a chance to win. He's done more than that. He, he's been really good. So uh, especially in that Edmonton series when he comes in, like the first thing I go to is, you know, when I'm looking at a goalie's performance, his goal saved above expected. It, it, it really is one of the few yep. statistics in hockey that you can use as a pretty effective catch-all. I, I don't subscribe to most hmm. of the others, but that one I do. And, uh, and his numbers in the Edmonton series were outstanding. Um, they've been fine in the Dallas series, um, but he's making one more save than the guy at the other end, who you mentioned is you know, thought yeah. of as one of the, the top goalies in the league. So it's, it is a bit Vegas in how they play too, um, but, it, man, he's been excellent. He he really has. Um, I don't think this series is close to over. Like I want to get to Florida and Carolina. I feel the same way there. Um, these games have really been close. Uh, the Dallas Stars have game breakers, and the Dallas Stars have a goaltender in Jake Ottinger, who, as you mentioned, is getting outdueled right now by Aiden Hill, uh, someone who can flat out steal games. Uh, your thoughts on where Dallas fits in right now in this series? Because we look at it and it's like, well, it's two nothing, but. It doesn't feel like, you know, Vegas is running away and, and hiding with this thing. I'm totally with you. Um, I don't think this thing's over by a long shot. And I say that because, like, let's think about the fact there's two and a half minutes left. Dallas had a lead. And, and Ryan Suter made one of the most curious decisions oh, I yeah. remember seeing. Like, he got the puck there. And I think during the live shot of it, I'm watching the game on your network, it was a behind-the-net view of it. So he gets the puck, and I'm like, glassing out, forehand. Easy play, you're up by a goal. He goes backhand and starts to skate it a bit, and I'm thinking, whoa, this is not a good idea. And then it all unraveled from there. Um, it, it was a, yeah. a horrendous play. So, And then, you know, Vegas goes on and wins in overtime. So it's not like Dallas is out of these games like you're talking about. But the other thing, too, is there's, a, there's been one significant matchup in terms of, you know, matching lines and – I don't read a ton into that. Mm. Um, you know, working with Bruce Boudreau, who I think he said he's coached eight game sevens and they've all been at home. And he said a lesson that he learned was overcoaching can, can be a problem um, and line matching. And, uh, you know, that can be an issue. Uh, there's one matchup in this series that has been significant in terms of minutes, and that's the Carlson line against the Hintz line. And from a process standpoint, the Carlson lines had the advantage. The results in terms of goals have been even. Um but we know what Rupe Hints and those guys can do when they get freed up a little bit. Car- the thing with Carlson, he can skate with Hints, and not many players can. I think that's yeah. why he's been effective against them. Dallas will obviously be able to get away from that a little bit as they go home, and I think that could be a differentiator in what's been a very close series that would maybe tilt it enough in Dallas's favor. So I think that's significant and why I'm not mm-hmm. counting them out. Um and then, you know, the Hintzland's also been getting a lot of Martinez and Petrangelo. So if they get away from all of that a little bit, yeah. maybe that's enough of separation for them to win a game or both uh, in Dallas. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if they did either uh, of those. Okay, so Carolina and Florida. Let's let's end on this one. Uh, Bobrovsky, huge story. Matthew Kachuk, huge story. 
what are the stories you're following, like with with your eye here? What what interests you about Florida and Carolina? And much like the other series, again, I don't think this one's done. I know Carolina, I know Carolina surrendered two in their own barn, but I don't think this series is close to over. We'll see you tonight, Game Three. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a fair point, right? I think every every game is an overtime game, so no one's running away with it. The one thing I'll say is that. <laughs> Again, process-wise, which is important, although in a seven-game playoff series it's less important, um, they've been pretty even at, at even strength, a, a bit of an edge to Florida in terms of slot, inner slot, rush, rebound chances, things that matter. But the Panthers are outscoring Carolina 4-1 at even strength. Um, that's impressive to do that to this Carolina Hurricanes team through a couple games. But Bronsky, yeah. like you mentioned, is, is the story. Like 5.6 goals saved above expected in two games. Insane. And I know one went Insane. four overtimes, Insane. but he still did it. Um, so it, it is incredible. Like no one else in the second round is at one goal yet. He's at 5.6. It's, he's just humming along doing what he's done. But um, this, this series fascinated, fascinated me from the outset. And, again, I think there's lessons to be learned here. Like We know that Florida certainly values an analytical approach to the game, um, given who they employ there in their front office. We know that Carolina does. That be, and I always make this point about analytics because I think oftentimes people who aren't involved in it kind of view it as a binary thing of like, oh, that's an analytics team or that isn't or a GM or he isn't. Um, when really it's are. just the – well, they all are for sure. But the big thing is, is the interpretation of the information. And that varies across yeah. the board um, in, in how people do it, right? So you look at Florida and Carolina – we analytics, puck possession, we, you hear all these things that come up often. These teams dump it out and dump it in more than anybody. Um, but why this is successful, yeah. especially in the playoffs, and again, even look at the other conference, they're not skating themselves into problems. They flip it out, flip it in, go get it, win a battle, work hard, um, and take the chances as they come. But I'm, I, I think it's great, again, just seeing – what is working in these playoffs, what is working with these final four teams that nobody that I know would have predicted would have been there, myself included, um, kind of going a bit old school and, and having a lot of success with it. So like that, that series to me, like I said, is kind of like a chess match where nobody's going to skate into trouble and make that big mistake or that bad pass. It's where there's an opportunity, can we capitalize? And if we do, we'll probably beat the other team by a goal. Mm-hmm. You know that that that's an interesting point too, and I I think a lot of us look for um, trends and the, the the way things are evolving right now. And you know, hockey's no different than baseball or basketball or football or any other sport for that matter. And that is, you know, whatever is successful uh, one year gets mimicked by teams the following season. This is, you know, we've talked about this even in the salary cap era. You know. Carolina Hurricanes come out and they win the Stanley Cup and all of a sudden it's all about foot speed, foot speed, foot speed. You know, Brian Brooks, Anaheim Ducks yeah. went the next year and it's all about muscle and nuclear deterrence and everyone races for that. Is there something Is there something that joins... This is a really wide question here for you, Mike. Is there something that joins Dallas, Vegas, Carolina, Florida in your mind as far as a trend goes that we're going to see other teams start to pick up on starting this off season. Is there something there? Like, is there a commonality in these four teams? It's an excellent question. It's, it's honestly not something I've looked at in enough depth to give you a good answer on right now, but I'll say that like I I've done 
research projects. I did one with a, a coach last summer on, and shocker, uh, the same two word question you would get asked a lot by a coach is what wins. And uh, it's, yeah. it's a big topic to cover. Um, but I can tell you that some of the differences from the playoffs to the regular season, and I do believe they are very different. Um, and people who played like, you know, Jeff will tell you, like it, they may, they may go as far as to say it's a different sport. Almost. Um, there is less opportunity for quality offense off the rush as, especially as the playoffs go on, there's more need to dump a puck in. There are more puck battles. Um, those things probably don't surprise you much, but these teams are capable of doing it and playing that style of game and being successful. And, not just because they're here now, but they've always been able to do that. Um, Florida this season, probably less than the other three, but that's the big thing that they wanted to shift was going from a one-dimensional offensive attack that they had last year that was wildly successful in the regular season to a multi-pronged mm-hmm. offensive approach where they could beat you in a number of different ways. That's what they're doing now. Um, so I wouldn't go as far as to say that Florida is the recipe because, let's be honest, they needed help to get yeah. in the playoffs. And if that's the recipe, you better have Bobrovsky level goaltending to go along with it. Um, <laughs> or or you're, you're probably in trouble. Like yeah. they were an inch away from being out in the fifth game of the first round in a game that Boston dominated. Yeah. But here they are. Yep. And, and that's the beauty of playoff hockey. That's, that's what makes it so great is that sometimes you get these stories and it's outstanding, but to answer your question without being too long-winded, I guess I'd say these four teams are perfectly capable of sacrificing the puck in order to make um, to to, min- to mitigate some risk, uh, but still being have a pl- being able to have a plan to get it back and make something happen. Fascinating stuff, uh, Mike. Always love having you aboard. Uh, you're so super smart. Thanks so much for sharing your uh, your expertise today. Uh, enjoy game three tonight between the Carolina Hurricanes and the Florida Panthers and very much look forward to having you back on. Thanks as always, pal. Hey, thanks for having me on. Love talking to you and uh, listening to the show as well. So keep up the good work. And I'll say this, it might not be the four yes, teams, sir. the huge markets and all that. I, the hockey's been outstanding. And that, for all the true hockey fans out there that just 100%. like watching good games, it's been incredible. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the rest of it. 100% could not agree with you more on that one. I think anyone who's listening or, or watching this, like if you're listening or watching this program specifically, like you're watching and you're loving this right now. You haven't <laughs> yeah. checked out because the local team bowed out. So I think you're, uh, I think there's an element of, of preaching to the choir on that one if you're you're dealing with this property. So listen, uh, I echo those words. I think the hockey's been outstanding. And listen, we're going to get another great game tonight. We all anticipate as well. Thanks as, all, uh, thanks as always, Mike. Always look forward to your next appearance. Thanks, pal. All right, thank you, Jeff. Mike Kelly from the NHL Network and Sport Logic. You know, interesting that um, hearing Mike, we'll get Matt Marchese on this conversation here. Matty, you know, interesting listening to Mike Kelly talking about, um, you know, generating uh, generating offense and what works in the regular season that doesn't work necessarily in the playoffs and how, um, you know, rush scoring or opportunities off the rush, you know, don't really materialize so much in the postseason as they do uh, in the regular season. And if you look at, like, we'll take, uh, who we take here? Dallas. So if you look at Peter DeBoer, Peter DeBoer's philosophy has always been, um, a lot of the offense has been, you know, has always revolved around creating rebounds. Creating rebounds leads to goals. That leads to offense, certainly more in the playoffs than it does in the regular season. But, you know, 
Peter DeBoer's teams have always had always had uh, a lot of shots from the point. And 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 this and this th- this is interesting because this speaks to um, you know analytics versus eyeballs and what works and what doesn't work and really just how you interpret the data that you get. Um, anyone who follows the game closely will tell you the lowest percentage shot in the offensive zone is a shot from the point. Yet Peter DeBoer's teams always shoot from the point. And if you don't sort of shift your logic or think about this deeply, you might say that's a wasted opportunity. Why does Peter DeBoer have his defenseman shooting from the point? It's the lowest percentage shot you'll take uh, in a game. And the theory is you're not shooting to try to score. You're shooting to create rebounds. Mm, Nashville uh, was, was and has always kind of been like this, certainly when they had Weber um, and Yossi, of course, they have, and you know, Suter before. There were a lot of point shots. And as a lot of people would look at just raw data and say, you're not going to score from there, the feeling is, and this is Peter DeBoer's philosophy, you're not trying to score from there. You're trying to create rebounds and you're trying to create chaos in front of the net. And that's where you're going to score playoff goals from your thoughts on creating offense from the point, not by trying to score, but just by trying to make rebounds. That's always been Peter DeBoer's philosophy. Well, first of all, it's a lot easier to score from the point when Joe Pavelski's tipping pucks in front of the net. So that would be the first point of that's the, um, truth. <laughs> that is the, truth. That the is second truth. The second thing is, is that uh, it's true when you think of the like, how many times do we see a Sasha Barkov type goal in the playoffs? It's not very often. And the majority of them based on, you know, just again, just on your own references throughout the history Mm -hmm. of hockey, not a lot of goals that get scored. Like there's not a lot of nice goals. There's a lot of, you know, tips in front or or banging a rebound or whatever. Look at, you know, Jamie Ben's tying goal the other day. Again, a shot from a point that creates offense in front of the net. I it's it's so yeah. interesting because it's such an old school way to look at it in a game that has evolved to a speed game. Whereas when you're scoring goals from, you know, within three, four feet of the net, that's as pedantic as the game gets is you are standing in place and not moving. So it's just very interesting that even still in the playoffs, that part of the game hasn't changed. Whereas in the regular season, mm-hmm. it's a different story. And that's the other thing too, about creating offense through the neutral zone and, and being able to carry pucks is when you get to this point, generally speaking, teams get here because they can play defense and they can make adjustments whereas in the regular season you can get away with a lot of things because it's the regular season and it's long but every game matters in the playoffs that's why i think that you know being able to have sustained pressure in the offensive zone and by doing so creating point shots i think that's why in the playoffs it's so important because every little bit of zone time that you get because you, you just never know what can happen. And that's, I, I love that philosophy from Pete DeBoer. It's also been a, a massive reason and not the only reason why we've seen such an offensive surge for Miro Heiskin in this season, especially in the second half, because he mm-hmm. finally got it and he's got a great shot of his own and he can score from back there. But I would, I would love to know how many points Miro Heiskanen has from shooting from the point, whether it's a, a shot that's tipped in or, or getting an assist on a rebound. 
Uh, are you with me that none, of, neither of these series are anywhere close to their conclusion, even though two teams lead to nothing? Uh, for the sake of our jobs, I hope that they're not any close to ending. But also, <laughs> um, because we don't like to talk about nothing. But I, when when four game, when two games in each series go into overtime, that and regardless of the result, whether it's one one or two nothing. That's as close as you can get in any series. It's it's why, you know, when I talked about the Maple Leafs in their series, four games were decided by one goal. In these in this round here, the first four games of the conference finals have been decided by one goal. I don't know how you could make the argument unless one goalie has just been like it, like I know Bobrovsky's been great, but I wouldn't say that Bobrovsky has been you know, the sole reason why Carolina hasn't been able to break through. It's certainly it's certainly not helped Carolina, but he can have a bad game and this thing could get evened up. I don't know when we're going to see it. Um, and, and same thing in Vegas. I thought Aiden Hill has been great. But for Dallas to get back into it, what's it going to take? I, I'm, I, I don't think that we're that far off. But just a question for you, Jeff. Um, if if I had told you that Jason Robertson would have scored in consecutive games in the conference finals and Dallas would have <laughs> yes, been down two nothing, what would you have said to me? Because I would have said I'm nuts. Well, yeah, well, I would have said uh, I don't know why we're making such a big deal about Jason Robertson scoring. He always scores, but you know, to your point, Jason Robertson has had a hard time finding the back of the net in these playoffs. Uh, but it looks very much... But it wasn't as if he wasn't getting his chances. Like He was still getting chances. Um, but now in the last two games, he's he's certainly... He's he's buried. I, I just look at this and saying, like, the margins... The margin for error is so slim um, between uh, between these, these two teams, Vegas and Dallas. And, you know, Bieksa did a really good breakdown post-game yesterday of the bad line change, and that was the difference. And it's a great read by Shea Theodore, too. Like, um, the Dallas Stars... You know, two people go off at the same time uh, as as Vegas is starting their rush. And Shea Theodore recognizes that, goes a little bit deeper. Um, and instead of hammering the puck, like you saw the uh, the, the, the nice pass from, from Mark Stone, instead of hammering, instead of hammering that puck, as I think a lot of people would have expected him to do, he just puts it on net. Just... Just puts it on net. Maybe he's like, look, I just, I just want to rebound here. But nonetheless, he reads the play, sees the two that have gone off, can cheat a little bit, get a little bit deeper, and that leads to the rebound goal by Chandler Stevenson. And the Vegas Golden Knights now uh, have a 2 nothing series lead. By the way, just on Chandler Stevenson, I know we've made this point before, but as each game goes on and you start to see it even more, That is one of the best trades George McPhee has ever made, period. You know what it cost him? Fifth round pick. Chandler Stevenson away from the watch. Fifth round pick, baby. Fifth round pick Chandler Stevenson and put in power position after power position for the Vegas Golden Knights, and he's always come up big. Um, it's been, it's, it's been, it's, it's been so impressive. Um, I don't think this series is done. Uh, now Pete DeBoer has got last change. He can sort of dictate some of the matchups here a little bit more than he was able to in Vegas. We'll see what happens there tonight. Uh, we'll get eyeballs on game, uh, game three here between the Florida Panthers and the Carolina Hurricanes, a really exciting series and one where we've seen 
we've seen leads evaporate. We've seen great goaltending performances. We've seen video review, call goals back a couple of sometimes in the first period exclusively. Going to pick up the conversation in a couple of moments. In the meantime, Josh Yowie is going to stop by in a uh, in a couple of seconds here from uh, from the Athletic covering the Pittsburgh Penguins, and we'll get on the Pittsburgh Penguins GM hunt. But one thing that I did want to make sure that I mentioned, uh, and that is the uh, Memorial Cup. So the four are set in case okay, so there's a host Kamloops Blazers. Hang on here. Um, host Kamloops Blazers, um, Seattle uh, Thunderbirds, the Peterborough Peets, and the Quebec. Rampars. Now, Maddie, as Joey Kenward texted me this morning, and this kind of blew my mind. It actually totally blew my mind. You know what's unique about these final four teams in the CHL for the Memorial Cup? What's that? First time in 20 years that none of the teams have a goaltender who's been drafted in the NHL. Wow. Really? Stunning, eh? Yeah, man, it's wild. That is bizarre. <laughs> there was almost that in in um, in in Red Deer, and I think like 2016 when the London Knights won uh, um, uh, with the Memorial Cup. Uh, London, but the London Knights backup was um, uh, Brendan Burke, Sean Burke's kid, who had been drafted. Yeah, I think he might have been the only one in that tournament. But none of the goaltenders, uh, whether it's Kamloops, Seattle, Peterborough, or Quebec have been drafted first time in 20 years that that has happened. That information courtesy of our friend Joey Kenward uh, in Vancouver. We'll hit pause. A wild one, eh? We'll hit pause and uh, come back with Josh Joey, the Pittsburgh Penguins GM hunt. Uh, Well, first of all, is it a GM hunt or is it also a president of hockey operations, a POHO hunt? Is it one? Is it two? Who are the names? Where does Kyle Dubas figure in in all of these conversations? Uh, Josh Joey from The Athletic in moments on that and more. As the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for joining me today. Um, coming up tomorrow, it's going to be Calgary Day as we uh, await the official announcement of Craig Conroy uh, announced as a new general manager of the Calgary Flames. Pittsburgh Penguins looking for a general manager of their own and a new name has entered the mix as uh, Kyle Dubas exited Toronto last week. Uh, he's entered the chat for the Pittsburgh Penguins general manager position. Josh Joey's been all over this story from day one and he joins me now from the Athletic. Josh, how are you today? Good. How are you? Uh I am doing well. Um do you think the Pittsburgh Penguins would have already named a general manager if the Maple Leafs press conference didn't occur at the end of last week? <laughs> um my sense is yes. I think they were pretty deep in the process. And all of a sudden, in the last few days, things have gone silent, and I think we know why. Um, I think if you could have asked the Penguins a month ago, you know, to who, who's the one guy, the dream scenario that you could have, it'd probably be Kyle Dubas. I, I think it would. He checks every box that the Fenway Sports Group likes. 
Um, so mm-hmm. because of that, yeah, I, I think things have been held up and they, they want to speak with him. I think the real question perhaps is just how interested is Kyle Dubas and the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, and I don't have the answer to that. I don't think anybody does except for Kyle. You know, it, it's interesting. I was, I was mentioning this on the, uh, the podcast, just as an aside, talking to someone on the, on the, uh, on the, on the weekend who said, you know, it, it would be very Kyle Dubas for him to talk to Fenway sports group and end up not getting a job in hockey, but ending up getting a job in baseball. Because as we know, Kyle Dubas is an incredibly huge baseball fan. It's like the swerve of all time. Kyle Dubas is interviewing with Fenway. Yeah, it's about a job with the Red Sox. It's not about a job um, with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, I can't see that happening. But nonetheless, that's the like Josh. That's the nature of the conversation, like around Toronto and around the Maple Leafs. Everyone's got a wild theory. Everybody thinks that they have their hands and their 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 brains wrapped around what the real story is. But it seems as if it continues to change. It's kind of like grabbing a handful of water. Um, so he, here's what I'm curious about. As you, as you mentioned that the dream scenario for the Pittsburgh Penguins and Fenway Sports is Kyle Dubas because he checks those boxes. And I, I agree 100% with you. I'm just curious what you think those boxes are. Like what makes Dubas attractive to Fenway Sports specifically? Well, I hate to simplify it, but, you know, Ron Hextall and, and Berkey weren't exactly into analytics um, I'm sure some people are probably aware of that. And Fenway Sports Group is. It has been for a long time. That's not to say that, you know, the person who runs the Penguins has to be a big-time analytics person, but they certainly want more of that thinking in the organization. And I have always sensed that they just want more youthful people running the show. That's been made pretty clear to me since they took over about 18 months ago. Uh, those are the two mm-hmm. big ones. And, you know, I, I'm also presuming that Kyle would not come cheaply. And Fenway's got a lot of money. Uh, I don't think money would be an issue if indeed they decided they wanted to do business together. I think they could quite easily meet his financial demands. So you put it all together. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that they are a natural partner. And even though he's young, uh, he does have experience. He's a general manager of the Toronto. Maple Leafs and, and a pretty darn successful yeah. one, even though the uh, final you know, Holy Grail wasn't attained, I understand. But uh, put it all together, it makes a lot of sense why they'd be interested. What in your mind is attractive about this Pittsburgh Penguins job? Like, whether it's if it's Kyle Dubas who ends up with this position, if it's, you know, Darsh or Tulski or McKinnon, Carmanos, mm. Greeley, whomever. Um, like, what, I, I, I understand that there's only 32 of those things, and so right away you're attracted to it because it's available. Um, but is there something specific about the Pittsburgh Penguins um, that makes it attractive to any of these candidates? Well, aside from the obvious, that the Penguins have a lot of money, and they're you know maybe not to the level of the Leafs, but they are a marquee franchise, and you do get to work with Sidney Crosby. All those things are nice, but I think just in terms of team building, yeah. uh, the Penguins are very flawed, and we we all know that. But the one thing they still have is a really really good top six, and it's a lot more difficult to get a good top six than it is a good bottom six. So if I'm taking over a team, I say, man, I already have a wonderful top six. That's a pretty good foundation. And I've got 20 million in cap space. That's Mm -hmm. not a lot, but I I can make some changes. So I don't think the Penguins are a lost cause. 
And look no further than this postseason when a team that barely made the playoffs is about to be in the Stanley Cup final. Um, that just tells you yep. how wide open the NHL in general is right now. So it's not a perfect job, but you know you do still have a lot of star power in that top six, including one of the greatest players in the history of the sport and probably the best captain in the game. That's a nice foundation, and I do think if Dubas would get this job, I think he would have complete control to do what he wanted, which I'm sure would be very attractive to him. And he'd be making more money probably than he's ever made before. So you add it all up, and I, I can see why Kyle would be interested. It, it, it does, too. It, it, it looks like a, a, a long-term project. You know, I, was, I was talking to someone over the weekend who mentioned to me, you know, this, the, the GM job for the Penguins, it's kind of like you're saying to yourself, okay, we're going to be a – you know, the, the sixth best team in the Eastern Conference for the next three years. And for those three years, you work on building this thing back up. Like you have enough to be a competitive team. Maybe you win around here and there. But the real work is going to be done sort of under the surface here. And, you know, restocking shelves and, and getting this Pittsburgh Penguins team to a place where they can start to transition and hand this off to the next generation of, of Pittsburgh Penguins players. Is that... Does that philosophy resonate with you? Sure. And, you know, I could make fun of Ron Hextall for, for days about some of the moves that he made. But I will say this for, for Ron. He was given an almost impossible task when he took over in Pittsburgh. He was told, hey, we want to get sit another cup. But along the way, we want you to make our whole system a lot better also simultaneously. And that's almost impossible, right? Um, so it, it was a tall task. And they're still in the same spot two and a half years later. Uh, they're not a hopeless cause. They could certainly be a playoff team next season with a few good moves this summer. But their system is just barren. And so it, yep. it's a tall order, yes. Um, but maybe somebody like a Kyle Tupas is perhaps a lot better at unearthing inexpensive talent around the league and, and still making that system a little bit better along the way. Um, it's worth a shot. It's not a hopeless situation for the Penguins, but these are not the glory years. This isn't uh, Jim Rutherford taking over in 2014 when Crosby and Malcolm were still in their 20s. We know that. Yeah. You know, that's uh, the, the point about what Ron Hextall was, was thrust into when he got the job. I think of the old, uh, the old saying, uh, what we gain on the roundabout, we lose on the swings. Uh, like, what are you doing? Are you try chasing a Stanley Cup or are you building up uh, Wilkes-Barre here because you can't do both? Uh, and it's so right. seldom, although the Dallas Stars kind of are an outlier here that, you know, they kind of have been able to do both. But that's 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 the rarest commodity uh, in, in the game. Um, so for whomever takes over this, penguins position and i would i would have to assume that they're going to have to make a decision pretty quickly here um what's job number one like whether you're Tulski or dubas or mckinnon or carmanos you know darsh or Greeley, uh what's job number one well i have to look at the goaltending position where tristan jari is scheduled to become an unrestricted free agent on july 1st he is, in my opinion, a top 10 physical talent in the league, but I don't think he's a top 10 goaltender right now. And he has had a lot of injury problems the last two seasons. He does not have a good playoff resume at all. That's the real question in Pittsburgh. What do you do with him? Because somebody around the league might pay him. 
And if I were the Penguins, I would yeah. not give him a four or five year contract. I would, I, I'd give him a year or two, maybe kind of a prove it contract. I frankly just don't trust him. I, I, you know, he hasn't been good in big games. He gets hurt all the time. He, he's never been the most mature in the world, even though I think he's a, just turned 28. Um, it, it's a real issue. You have nothing in the system, really. Uh, no one who's ready to play yet at the NHL level. Casey DeSmith is an okay backup. That's all he is. Uh, they really need to figure out what they're doing with the goaltending position. And again, the, the market is not real good for goaltenders this summer either. It's a real issue for the Penguins. We shall see. Um, fascinating times around Pittsburgh. Oh, by the way, uh, now I'm having a hard time getting a handle on this. You can fill in the blanks for me, hopefully. You're a lot closer to it than I am. Are they making one higher or two? Is this a GM and president of hockey operations? Do we have a clearer <laughs> sense of what we're what the what you know uh, David Beeson be running this whole thing? What they're looking at at hiring here, and is it one job or two? I really think that all depends on who they hire. I, I don't think they know. I, I think they're open to both possibilities, but I, okay. it wouldn't shock me if a certain big name were hired that maybe that would be the only guy and he would have all say. Um, that's my sense. I don't think they're married to, to one thing or the other right now. Gotcha. Uh, okay, fascinating times. We'll, uh, we'll be following along uh, all of your reporting. Thanks as always, Josh. Really appreciate this. All right, you got it. Uh, Josh Yoey from The Athletic covering the Pittsburgh Penguins and their hunt for a general manager, uh, which now includes Kyle Dubas. And if you uh, you missed the news earlier, uh, Dubas, the Penguins do have permission now from the Maple Leafs uh, to talk to Kyle Dubas about the vacant uh, general manager position. Let's get Mar- Marchese here aboard for a couple of minutes to finish up the uh, the program. So Calgary's going to be done tomorrow, Maddie. So uh, their GM hunt is over. Um, Craig Conroy will be the guy. Uh, your thoughts on what we're seeing in Pittsburgh? Like, I, I do wonder to Josh's point if they hire, hire Kyle Dubas, then you know maybe there's no president of hockey operations. If there's someone more inexperienced than Dubas, maybe there is. Um, so that is a hunt. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs still looking now, and this begins in earnest this week uh, for their next general manager. No shortage of names whatsoever. Uh, out there, like how close are we to here? Like, it, it's Toronto, so some names are going to come out uh, from the past as well. But uh, do you have a thought or two on what the Penguins are going through and what the Maple Leafs are going through right now? It's funny that you that you mentioned that with with Josh because my my first inclination when it came to Dubis getting permission to talk to Pittsburgh was I wonder if they bring him on as the president of hockey ops and then have somebody else maybe like an Eric Tulski to be the GM there. That was the first thought that I had that came to mind when you were talking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Toronto job is really interesting in that. Like, I like that you guys talked about, you and Elliot talked about, like, this is a job where people start to look at their own contracts that are currently working because it doesn't come up that often. It's a legacy job because as we know, if you were to ever win a championship in Toronto with the Maple Leafs, you would never have to buy a meal here for the rest of your life. You would be, you would be, you know, goat status of all of the, the, the GMs that they've had. Yeah, exactly. And so, you, go to the Hall of Fame. so you know, you know what, so, you, you know what the best example of that is. I, and I always point people to this. Go look at that nineteen 
67 Toronto Maple Leafs team. I'm not going to single anyone else. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But go look at that 1967 Toronto Maple Leafs team and look at how many people are in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah, Some very deserving. Some very deserving. Some not? And maybe some not. <laughs> maybe, some, maybe some not. But they played on that team that won, that won the Stanley Cup. Anyhow, yeah. uh, continue. Sorry, just a quick, it, quick aside. No, no, but, it, it, but it is true, though, and that's and that's why I. there are names that maybe we would not think are available because maybe they're actually not available, but their contract would dictate that they are available. And that's where I think the conversation yeah. comes in of we're going to hear about a lot of people that may have tried to push their name in there that we didn't think was a possibility. For me, I think that Brad Living is a really good fit. You've talked about, you know, working in that corporate structure, which he did in Calgary. And so I, I think that that is a fit. It would be very interesting to go from Calgary to Toronto because you know, some people mm-hmm. have done it. It's been very a very interesting transition for some. Um, and so I, I think that 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 job is going to be really uh, interesting to see who jumps out. The other thing is, and I know we don't have much time left, but there's some coaching vacancies too that are coming up that aren't getting a lot of attention that are going to be really interesting this week. You, you know who's going to make the tour this week? Spencer Carberry. Yeah. Spencer Carberry is, uh, as I described him on the podcast, the new coaching hotness. So he'll talk to uh, Anaheim, New York, and who? Washington. 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 I think I think Washington is probably the most obvious um, connection there. I think that there. there's a sense. Uh, I think there's a sense in Washington. Well, there is, of course, because that's you know, it's Hershey or the Capitals. That that there's the 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 sense that he's the one that got away. Um, you know, he knows the organization. He knows the players. Um, you look at what he did with the Maple Leafs power plays. Like, there's a lot of reasons why it hits for, for Spencer Carberry. And right now he's considered that next one who's ready to make the jump. Uh, he made the jump from the American Hockey League to the NHL. Now he's gone from an assistant coach to what he hopes is a uh, coveted NHL coaching position. Anaheim, Washington, New York Rangers. Uh, we shall see. But yeah, expect to hear Spencer Carberry's name a lot. Uh, thanks to everybody for making this show possible today. I know it was tricky off the top, so uh, Connor Lamont, thanks for getting this thing on the air. Matt Marchese for jumping in, as always. Uh, Frank Baraska for the uh, camera work, outstanding, as always. Elliot Friedman, George Richards, Mike Kelly, Josh Yowie, thank you, thank you, thank you. And don't forget tonight, Game 3, Florida Panthers, the Carolina Hurricanes. Overtime? Extra chuckers, anyone? Uh, pre-game show Hockey Central with your host Ron McClain gets underway at 7.30 Eastern. Puck drops just after 8. Enjoy it. Merrick's show back tomorrow.